And today might be the first day of, if it was the political revolution in 2016, might it, believe, might it now be the political destination in 2020? Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, if I, I, I woke up around 5.30 a.m., nothing going on. Uh, then I went back to bed. I wake up again. I think it was like 6.30. And uh, Senator Bernard Sanders announces that he is running for president again, uh, 2020. Uh, he announced it first uh, on Vermont Public Radio, uh, uh, you know, telling his constituents, obviously, in Vermont uh, that he was running uh, for the first, uh, wanted to tell them first. And then he spoke to CBS Morning News, uh, talking about what would be different this time. If you think Bernie, if you think Bernie was up against it in 2016, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, which we're about to show you. Let's get to Bernie's uh, announcement video. It's it's a little long, but I thought it was very, very strong. So here is Bernie Sanders' announcement video announcing his run for the presidency. Hi, I'm Bernie Sanders. I'm running for president. And I'm asking you today to be part of an unprecedented grassroots campaign of one million active volunteers in every state in our country. Our campaign is not only about defeating Donald Trump, the most dangerous president in modern American history. It is not only about winning the Democratic nomination and the general election. Our campaign is about transforming our country and creating a government based on the principles of economic, social, racial, and environmental justice. Our campaign is about taking on the powerful special interests that dominate our economic and political life. I'm talking about Wall Street, the health insurance companies, the drug companies, the fossil fuel industry, the military industrial complex, the private prison industry, and the large multinational corporations that exert such an enormous influence over our lives. Our campaign is about redoubling our efforts to end racism, sexism, homophobia, religious bigotry, and all forms of discrimination. Our campaign is about creating a vibrant democracy with the highest voter turnout of any major country on earth while we end voter suppression, Citizens United, and outrageous levels of gerrymandering. Our campaign is about creating a government and economy that works for the many, not just the few. We are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, we should not have a grotesque level of wealth inequality in which three billionaires now own more wealth than the bottom half of the country. We should not have 30 million Americans without any health insurance, even more who are underinsured, and a nation in which life expectancy is actually in decline. We should not have an economy in which tens of millions of workers earn starvation wages and half of older workers have no savings as they face retirement. We should not have the highest rate of childhood poverty of almost any major country on earth and a dysfunctional childcare system, which is unfair to both working parents and their children. We should not have a regressive tax system in which large profitable corporations like Amazon pay nothing in federal income taxes. 
Make no mistake about it. The powerful special interests in this country have unbelievable power, and they want to maintain the status quo. They have unlimited amounts of money to spend on campaigns and lobbying and have huge influence over the media and political parties. The only way we will win this election and create a government and an economy that works for all is with a grassroots movement, the likes of which has never been seen in American history. They may have the money and the power. We have the people. That is why we need one million Americans who will commit themselves to this campaign. You know as well as I do that we are living in a pivotal and dangerous moment in American history. We are running against a president who is a pathological liar, a fraud, a racist, a sexist, a xenophobe, and someone who is undermining American democracy as he leads us in an authoritarian direction. I am running for president because now more than ever, we need leadership that brings us together, not divides us up. Women and men, black, white, Latino, Native American, Asian American, gay and straight, young and old, native born and immigrant. Now is the time for us to stand together. I'm running for president because we need leadership that will fight for working families and the shrinking middle class, not just the 1%. We need a president who understands that we can create millions of good paying jobs, rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure and constructing the affordable housing we desperately need. I am running for president because we need trade policies that reflect the interests of workers and not multinational corporations. We need to raise the minimum wage to a living wage, provide pay equity for women, and guarantee all workers paid family and medical leave. I'm running for president because we need to understand that artificial intelligence and robotics must benefit the needs of workers, not just corporate America and those who own that technology. I'm running for president because a great nation is judged not by how many billionaires and nuclear weapons it has, but by how it treats the most vulnerable, the elderly, the children, our veterans, the sick and the poor. I'm running for president because we need to make policy decisions based on science, not politics. We need a president who understands that climate change is real, is an existential threat to our country and the entire planet, and that we can generate massive job creation by transforming our energy system away from fossil fuel and into energy efficiency and sustainable energy. I'm running for president because the time is long overdue for the United States to join every other major country on earth and guarantee health care to all people as a right, not a privilege, through a Medicare for all single payer program. I am running for president because we need to take on the outrageous level of greed of the pharmaceutical industry and lower prescription drug prices in this country. I'm running for president because we need to have the best educated workforce in the world. It is totally counterproductive for our future that millions of Americans are carrying outrageous levels 
of student debt, while many others cannot afford the high cost of higher education. That is why we need to make public colleges and universities tuition-free and lower student debt. I am running for president because we need real criminal justice reform. We need to invest in jobs and education for our kids, not more jails and incarceration. We need to end the destructive war on drugs, private prisons, and cash bail, and bring about major police department reform. I'm running for president because we need to end the demonization of undocumented immigrants in this country and move to comprehensive immigration reform. We need to provide immediate legal status for the young people eligible for the DACA program and develop a humane policy for those at the border who seek asylum. I'm running for president because we must end the epidemic of gun violence in this country. We need to take on the NRA, expand background checks, end the gun show loophole, and ban the sale and distribution of assault weapons. I am running for president because we need a foreign policy which focuses on democracy, human rights, diplomacy, and world peace. The United States must lead the world in improving international cooperation in the fight against climate change, militarism, authoritarianism, and global wealth inequality. That is why we need one million people to join our campaign and help lead the movement that can accomplish all of these goals. Needless to say, there is a lot of frightening and bad, bad news in this world. Now, let me give you some very good news that we should all be very proud of. Three years ago, during our 2016 campaign, when we brought forth our progressive agenda, we were told that our ideas were radical and they were extreme. We were told that Medicare for All, a $15 an hour minimum wage, free tuition at public colleges and universities, aggressively combating climate change, demanding that the wealthy start paying their fair share of taxes. We were told that all of these concepts were ideas that the American people would never accept. Well, three years have come and gone. And as a result of millions of Americans standing up and fighting back, all of these policies and more are now supported by a majority of Americans. Together, you and I and our 2016 campaign began the political revolution. Now it is time to complete that revolution and implement the vision that we fought for. So here is my question for you. Will you stand with me as part of a million-person grassroots movement which can not only win the Democratic nomination, not only win the general election, but most importantly, help transform this country so that finally we have a government that works for all of us and not just the few? Together, we can create a nation that leads the world in the struggle for peace and for economic, racial, social, and environmental justice. And together, we can defeat Donald Trump and repair the damage he has done to our country. Brothers and sisters, 
If we stand together, there is no limit to what we can accomplish. I hope you'll join me. Thank you very much. That was Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, and he uh, obviously... Uh, a lot of things that he just said in that campaign announcement uh, were very similar to 2016, but there was a few things that I noted were a little bit different. First, uh, he spoke specifically about automization and how automization is essentially making us a jobless economy. He talked about that a little bit uh, on the campaign trail in 2016. I probably covered uh, when I was at the Young Turks. Now I'm at status coup, baby. Status coup. Um He talked about it a little bit on the campaign trail, but not as much as he could have uh, talked about it. So uh, automization, taking jobs, I think that was interesting that he pointed that out uh, in the the campaign video. I think he's going to point that out a lot more on the campaign trail because that's something that whether you're a progressive, uh, a neoliberal, a Republican, uh, robots and, you know, Uh, You go to Walmart, you go to movie theaters, you go everywhere. Machines are taking over for tellers and for human beings. So everybody knows that. And it's basically making us a jobless economy because the United Corporations of America, as I always say, we are not the United States of America. We are the United Corporations of America, looks at human beings, looks at workers as numbers on a balance sheet rather than humans who have needs for a living wage, health care to actually feed and live Uh, for themselves and their children. He also talked about racial and social justice, which I think uh, from people I've spoken with in Bernie's orbit, whenever I say people I speak with in Bernie's orbit, that means people that work for Bernie. Uh, Obviously, I'm not going to reveal sources, but I know people uh, in Bernie's circle. Um, Obviously, in 2016, listen, the, the deck was so far rigged against him, which we're going to I'm going to get to more. The deck was so far rigged against him that it's 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 where do you even start? But one of the one of the ways they rigged uh, the primary was the beginning of the 2016 primary. They front loaded all of the southern states, which are heavily black voters uh, in front. Uh, early on. And that disadvantaged Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders was not really a name well known in black community in South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, Georgia. I could go on and on. Uh, The Clintons, right or wrong, were a name uh, pretty known in, uh, you know, the African-American community. And honestly, uh, older black women, uh, by and large, were, were very, very strong and loyal to the Clintons and Hillary Clinton. Well, now Bernie Sanders is uh, known nationally. There's obviously a hell of a lot of propaganda, hell of a lot of propaganda uh, going on already with CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But Bernie Sanders is a known quantity now. So he knows, uh, you know, as as a white person, I'm not going to speak here and, and condescend Uh, and Ty will join me in a few minutes, I'm not going to speak and condescend about, oh, well, you know, Bernie's policies uh, will actually disproportionately help black people. Uh, You know, it doesn't really matter what a white person says. Uh, Black people are like white voters, too. They care about, uh, uh, is somebody actually fighting for them economically? They care about uh, a higher minimum wage. They care about health care. They care about... um, you know, uh, education being affordable. They care about these things. They also have different um, uh, desires and different needs than white people. Safety, (laughs) equality, equal opportunity, 
not getting shot wearing a hoodie and these things. But I think what Bernie Sanders uh, this time is going to do is really, really, really aggressively go in to those uh, African-American communities and not pander to them, not be like other Democratic candidates that just go into churches and, you know, around election time, because we see that the Democratic Party largely goes into black communities during election time, tells them they're going to lift, you know, spread the oceans and finally fight for them. Then uh, black people elect uh, Democrats and then the Democrats never do anything for them. I think what Bernie Sanders is going to do is instead of talking differently to black communities, I think he's going then he does the white communities or the Northeast or whatever. I think he's just going to go into black communities more. And I wanted to show you a clip. I wanted to show you a clip because the, the national media didn't really cover this. Most candidates that lose a nomination, most candidates that lose the presidency, they kind of like lick their wounds and don't do much for a few years. Bernie Sanders, since losing the nomination in 2016, which frankly was totally rigged against him, and I think he would have beat Donald Trump. I think the polling shows he would have beat Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders has been barnstorming the country. So here is a clip uh, from Bernie Sanders. Uh, I think it was in 2017 when he went down to stand with uh, the uh, workers down in Mississippi who were, who were on strike at the Nissan factory. Here we go. I don't have to explain to anybody here what's been going on in our country, in Vermont, in Mississippi, all over this country for 40 years. And what's been going on is the great middle class of this country has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. In this state of Mississippi, in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, 30% of the beautiful children are living in poverty. In America, half of older workers have nothing in the bank as they prepare for retirement. In this country, moms and dads can't afford quality childcare for their kids. And we have teachers here who are working two or three jobs in order to make a living. This is America. This is the greatest country in the history of the world. And all of our people deserve decent wages and decent benefits. What this struggle is about is a struggle for dignity. What Nissan understands, what many of your state elected officials understand who are siding with Nissan, is that their preference is that Nissan continue to make huge profits, Nissan continue to pay its CEO $9 million a year. But somehow Nissan is unable to provide decent wages and decent working conditions here in Canton, Mississippi. So we say to Nissan, it's great that your CEO makes $9 million. It's great that you made $6 billion in profit. But you know what? Share some of that wealth with your workers.
Now, the reason that we see opposition to unions here in Mississippi and, in fact, all over the country is because unions work in providing increased wages and benefits. Benny Thompson made this point, and it's a true point. If you are a member of a union in America, you are going to make 27% more on average than a non-union worker. If you are a member of a union, you're far more likely to have paid family and medical leave. If you are a member of a union, the likelihood is you're going to have a better retirement plan and a better health care plan than non-union members. So I wanted to show you that clip. I wanted to show you that clip is what the corporate media and the Democratic Party plutocrats and the DNC, what they want to frame this as. And I'm not I'm speaking as a white person. So if you're an African-American, you could you're perfectly welcome to to disagree with me in the super chat. If I see your comment, I'll read it. But what they don't understand, and I don't think this is a racist or, or thing to say or this is not a sexist thing to say. This is just facts. It's not enough. It, it, it doesn't make you a qualified candidate or the candidate of the moment because you're black. That doesn't mean that you represent the, the, the voting base of the Democratic Party. You always hear this corporate talking point in CNN and the New York Times. You know, Bernie's kind of out of step with the changing demographic, the changing face of the Democratic Party. But just because a face looks different than Bernie Sanders, just because uh, a gender is different than Bernie Sanders, just because an age is different than Bernie Sanders, doesn't matter. Do you know what proves that? Bernie Sanders' predominantly predominant voter in 2016 was 18 to 34. 18 to 34. So they don't look like Bernie Sanders. Many of them were women. Many of them were black which the corporate media wouldn't tell you, Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton among African-Americans under the age of 30. He also won Latinos under the age of 30. So this notion, being black, doesn't mean you're in step with the Democratic Party. I'll give you an example. I happened to, I, have, I liked Stacey, Ab Stacey Abrams' speech where she gave a reaction to the State of the Union. Okay, that's great. I like her. She, she made history as the Democratic nominee uh, uh, for governor in Georgia. Frankly, she won the election. It was stolen from her, which I covered. But on policy, Stacey Abrams is kind of slightly left of center. She's not capital P progressive. She's not, bo she's not pushing hard for Medicare for all. She's not pushing hard for free public college. She's not pushing hard for ending private prisons and all these things. So that doesn't mean... That doesn't make her a bad person. That doesn't mean she couldn't be a candidate for governor. She wouldn't be a better uh, candidate, uh, better governor in Georgia than that horrible, horrible, corrupt man that became governor. But just because she is black does not mean she is automatically in step with Democratic voters. Do you know what shows what candidate is in step with the Democratic Party's voters or voters overall? It's not who, what color is their skin. It's not what body parts they have. It's not uh, how old they are, is read the polls. Read the polls. Read the polls. 
I don't, I don't know, you know, James, what, what was his name? James Carville said, it's the economy, stupid. Read the polls. Because I can tell you, I've been to Flint. I've been to East Chicago. I was just in Detroit. I've been to Chicago. I've been to St. Louis. I've been to Alabama. I've been to a hell of a lot of predominantly African-American communities. It's not anecdotal. I have interviewed probably at this point hundreds of black people, activists, citizens. I'm not speaking for black people. I recognize my white privilege, but I will tell you this. The majority of these people, okay, like the policies that Bernie Sanders is advocating for. The majority of these people, when I just went to General, when I just went to Detroit to cover General Motors laying off 15,000 people after a $51 billion uh, bailout from the federal government, after saving 514 million from Trump's tax giveaway, after making $8.1 billion, and that reporting was made possible by you, that, that reporting uh, was made possible by you, by being members, by GoFundMe. Ty and I were just there. You might not even have known we were there because YouTube didn't show you. Those videos are up on this channel as well as statuscoup.com. The point is, those uh, black uh, union workers that I spoke to, those black auto workers that I have spoken with, those black community activists in Flint, Detroit, this and that, they don't automatically love Kamala Harris. Want to know how I know? Because I've asked. A lot of them say, uh, a lot of them actually criticize black political leaders on the local level for selling them out. So being black, if you're Kamala Harris, uh, or, or being a woman, if you're Elizabeth Warren, or being, uh, what a, whatever, what's this guy's name? The uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, he's 37. None of that shit matters anymore. And the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party so wants to run on identity politics. Do you want to know why? And by the way, I will argue with anyone who says the phrase identity politics is racist. Because when I've said identity politics in, in, the, in the past, it's been racist. No, 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 no. Identity politics is a way to deflect, distract from the actual policy issues, which are the majority of this country is living paycheck to paycheck. Half the country is near or at the poverty level. The majority of this country cannot afford a $400 emergency. CEOs in this country now make 300 times, 300 times their workers. That's not a democracy. That's not a republic. That's an oligarchy. And frankly, if you go to community after community like I do, we are living in a mafia system. And that's why the corporate media plays identity politics. That's why you want to talk about free airtime? CNN gave Donald Trump, I believe it was three to $5 billion in free airtime. Well, have you noticed how much free airtime they've given Kamala Harris so far? What's so interesting to me is, you know, you start seeing Kamala Harris 24 hours after she announces, get a one hour infomercial. I mean, that was an embarrassment, CNN's town hall with her. They didn't ask one question about why she didn't prosecute Steve Mnuchin. They let her basically skate around on Medicare for All. They didn't point out, hey, like in December last year, like two months ago, you were for free public college. So why is it now debt-free college? Maybe because Hillary Clinton's donors weren't happy with her? Uh, why is it that six months after running, becoming a senator in California, you were meeting with Hillary Clinton's top donors in the Hamptons? Why is it that if you're for Medicare for All, as you say, Senator Harris, 
you feel, I feel very strongly about it. Well, you didn't feel strongly about it when you were running for California senator. If you live in California and are watching, it was up for possibly becoming law in California. It passed the California House single payer. California would have been the first state in the country to have a state single payer system. Kamala Harris, crickets, crickets on single payer when she was running. Now all of a sudden she's running for president. Kamala Harris loves single payer. And I'm not going to name who, I'm not going to name who, but I I asked a uh, pretty high level source in California. She's a member of the union movement there. She was very active in uh, the fight for Medicare for All. I said to her, hey, I'm doing some research. I can't find anything. Did Kamala Harris mention Medicare for All when she was running for Senate in California? Was she for Medicare for All? The person wrote back to me, uh, of course not. Are you kidding? She'll say anything now. (laughs) Well, that about says it all, right? That about says it all. Let me show you some of the information here. When, When CNN asks, you know, does Bernie have a lane? Does Bernie have a lane? I want to show you the exit polls. I want to show you the exit polls from the 2018 midterm. Gun policy, 11%. Economy, 21%. Immigration, 23%. Look at the biggest source of care and interest. What do people care most about? In at least the voters who voted, what do they care the most about? That would be health care. Healthcare. Well, who, who do voters want to vote for? Do they want to vote for, you know, Sherrod Brown, who's Medicare buy-in and, you know, uh, Medicare access or Medicare extra or whatever the hell the incrementalists are proposing these days? Do you think the people that 41% of which, and by the way, it's higher than 41%, the majority of non-voters, part of why they're not voting is because they know nobody's serious about health care. But do you think, do you really think that it's going to be attractive to the voters who are literally, some of them dying for health care, for, uh, you know, Julian Castro, who says Medicare for all, like very quietly, but has no actual plan for that, or Kamala Harris, who says Medicare for all at a CNN hand, town hall, and then literally less than 24 hours later is, well, you know, I'm open to other things too, and we got to be pragmatic, so I'm open to a public option. I'm open to Medicare Extra. You know, we got to be pragmatic. Do you really think that, uh, you know, the Amy Klobuchar's of the world who just said, Last night, well, Medicare for all is definitely long-term what we want. Definitely long-term what we want. But, you know, I just want to get something done now. Oh, what a, what a terrible answer that was. Or, uh, you know, frankly, i got to keep it real. Elizabeth Warren is for Medicare for all, but she's not really talking about it on the campaign trail much. When asked about it in a recent interview, she didn't really strongly push it. There's only one candidate. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard is for Medicare for All, to her credit. There's only one candidate that is, he's not like taking a breath or, or, you know, looking the other way when he says it. He is strongly, fiercely, and in a non-negotiable way saying we need Medicare for All in this country. He has proposed Medicare for All legislation that had, I believe, 18 co-sponsors, including all of these, as I call them, Johnny-come-lately progressives. Because, 
Let me tell you something. Kirsten Gillibrand, Johnny-come-lately progressive. Cory Booker, Johnny-come-lately progressive. Uh, Julian Castro, Johnny-come-lately progressive. Kamala Harris, Johnny-come-lately progressive. And let's not allow them to, to, to uh, determine or to manufacture what a progressive is. You know, Hillary Clinton, I'm a progressive who gets things done. Yeah, you get a lot of wars done. You get a lot of warmongering done. You get a lot of incrementalism done. You get a lot of favorable legislation for banks done. And there's a reason that Kamala Harris in two years has gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars from Wall Street as a senator. There's a reason. There's a reason Kamala Harris has gotten a hell of a lot of money from Wall Street already. There's a, lot, there's a reason she got $127,000 from indi individuals that work for Time Warner. Time Warner was the parent company of CNN. Follow the money, Lebowski. It's about the money, Lebowski. So none of these people are for what the voters are for. And it's not about whether they're black. It's not about whether they're a woman. It's not about how old, or are, old they are. It's about the polls. 70% of American citizens polled want Medicare for all. Not Medicare extra, not Medicare buy-in, not Medicare access, not Medicare, you know, marshmallow or whatever's the next thing the incrementalists come up with. Medicare for all. Okay? So, you know, what's the pragmatic thing to do? And I, I spoke with Jimmy Dore about this a while ago. What's the pragmatic solution? Is the pragmatic solution to look at a poll, look at overwhelming support, and, and go the other way? Or is the pragmatic solution be like, hmm, the majority of people want X. If I give them X... I'll probably be elected. That seems pretty pragmatic, doesn't it? Usually when you give the majority what they want, they like it and they support you. But we don't live in a country where the politicians represent you or I. We live in a country where the politicians take legal bribes and represent the banks, the fossil fuel companies, the real estate developers, uh, pharmaceutical companies, real estate developers, the list goes on and on and on. So, Bernie Sanders... I'm telling you, Bernie Sanders, there would be no way in hell that Medicare for All would be polling at 50% if not for Bernie Sanders. Specifically, Medicare for All is polling among Republicans at 52%. So that's one number I wanted to show you. Then I heard CNN today say, well, Bernie Sanders, he has a big, big problem with black voters because this has been their narrative. He has a big, big problem with black voters. They never mentioned, oh, he won millennial black voters over Hillary Clinton by a pretty nice margin. But no, black voters in total, he has a problem with. Well, according to a September Gallup poll, he has a 64% favorability rating among non-whites, which, you know, black, brown, indigenous. Uh, is that a big problem, folks? Is 64% favorability a, a huge problem with black voters? I'm not saying he doesn't have to do better. I'm not saying he doesn't have to make inroads. I think he has to campaign heavily in the South, maybe more so than anywhere else. But he has a 64% favorability rating among non-white voters. He, I mean, you don't hear this anywhere else. And by the way, uh, can you read numbers? Because that's better than white voters. The bottom line is this. Look at those numbers. He's got a 54% among independent voters. Uh, last time I checked, independent voters decide presidential elections. That's how you get elected. 
who it's not just getting out your base who can attract independent voters and by the way most independent voters they lean to the left 78 percent among the democratic party not bad 50 percent among whites pretty good 64 percent among non-whites pretty good but as as great as the non-white numbers are an equally important number in this poll 55 and older He's at 45%. This was in September, so it might be even more than that now. That is why he lost the 2016 campaign on top of a lot of rigging, which I'm going to get to in a minute. He lost because of older, older Americans, predominantly African-American older people, but also white older people. This isn't an ageist thing because obviously there's a lot of older Bernie Sanders voters. So I'm not putting a blanket over all older voters. However, The data is the data. Hillary Clinton's predominant voting base was older Americans. So the fact that he's even close to 50% among 55 and older is a positive thing. He'll have to do more. He will have to get to 49, 50% at that number. He will also have to get uh, a little bit better among 35 to 54. But I think he could do it. I really do. So that's another important poll that you will not see on CNN. Another important poll. Well, first of all, before I show this poll, I want to show you what uh, Kamala Harris had to say uh, last night about Medicare for all. Uh, Senator Harris, one of the most popular Democrats in America right now is the guy who won here in 2016, Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. describes himself as a Democratic Socialist. To compete in New Hampshire, do you have to, in the Democratic primary, do you have to move more toward the Democratic Socialist part of the party? Well, the people of New Hampshire will tell me what's required to compete in New Hampshire, but I will tell you I am not a democratic socialist. Um, I believe that um, what what voters do want is they want to know that whoever is going to lead um, understands that in America today not everyone has an equal opportunity to an access to a path to success and that that has been building up over decades and we've got a correct course. When we have an America where almost half of American families cannot afford a $400 emergency, we know that we've got to do some course correction. When we have an America where 99% of the counties in the United States of America, if you're a minimum wage worker working full-time, you can't afford market rate for a one-bedroom apartment, we need to course correct. And those are my commitments in terms of being able to um, be in a position where, one, I see it, but also I intend to do something. What's so interesting, what's so interesting about Kamala Harris, uh, I am not a democratic socialist. And you have... Uh, Donald Trump playing on this, um, you know, socialist boogeyman. America will never, ever be a socialist country. And I actually thought I I queued this up for you to make a point. I don't normally play Young Turks clips, but I want to play this clip uh, from the 2016 campaign to show you what I think Donald Trump is really going to tap into. And frankly, I think the DNC, if you think the DNC is not going to try to rig this primary or they already have rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders, you got another thing coming. And we're going to get to the DNC in a few minutes and we're going to get to the rigging in 2016 and we're going to get to how to stop it in 2020. But I want to play you this clip so you have a kind of an idea of what not only Donald Trump's going to do, but what, frankly, the Democratic elites are going to do to try and paint Bernie Sanders as the Antichrist. Here we go. Right. Trump. I think Trump, he's honest. We don't need a Barack in office no more because he's a liar. He can't be direct. Hillary Clinton is a criminal. Bernie Sanders is a socialist. 
He will believe in taking away all our freedom. He'll control the way we eat, the way we sleep, the way we, we live. Uh, Trump. He, How's Bernie Sanders going to control all that? You know, he'll find a way. Bernie Sanders, he believes in socialism. If uh, everybody knows correct history, they would know that Hitler was also a socialist, or he was a different type of socialist. He was a fascist. Fascist, yeah, socialism, fascism. It's a little, very different. It is. It, it runs in the same category, but it's different. I'm more with Trump because of that, because he's being bullied by the government. Oh, you know, Bernie Sanders, he's kind of like Hitler, you know? Hitler was a socialist. I mean, listen, listen. I don't want to make this too much about Trump, but obviously, obviously, uh, you got some ignorant people about what socialism is and is not. But frankly, this is, this is a tactic that the Democratic Party, this is a tactic that the Democratic Party are using too. You know, they, they think that the, the country is so against socialism they think that the country, uh, you know, if they really cater and, and make socialism the boogeyman and make Bernie, you know, kind of uh, akin to Fidel Castro or now Maduro, you're starting to hear Bernie is like Maduro and that, you know, look at Venezuela, socialism, blah, 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 blah. They think that they could effectively kill Bernie Sanders' campaign. Only minor problem with that, uh, Americans, they, they kind of like socialism. Uh, this is recent poll from Gallup, 2010. It was an even split between capitalism and socialism. You had 53% uh, of Americans favored capitalism, 53% socialism. 2012, about the same, 55% capitalism, 53% socialism. 2016, what happened in 2016? Was there this, was this this kind of disheveled old guy running for president who was a socialist? It goes up. By five points, 53 to 58% uh, agree with socialism. Sorry for the noise. Of course, as I'm live, they're doing drilling and construction in my apartment. I apologize. Uh, apartment above me. 58% want socialism in 2016. Now in 2018, look at how far favorability ratings for capitalism has fallen. Capitalism has fallen by nine percentage points in two years. What changed after 2016 was, oh my God, Hillary Clinton, she ran that amazing socialist campaign and now we're all love socialism and hate capitalism. Is it, oh, Donald Trump, he ran this amazing anti-capitalism campaign and that pro-socialism campaign. It must be Hillary and Donald Trump that made people hate capitalism and love socialism. Bernie Sanders happened. The Medicare for All movement happened. Fight for 15 has been happening. Free public college has been happening. Black Lives Matter has been happening. No Dapple has been happening. And this notion, this notion that socialism is authoritarian. Well, in Venezuela in 2012, or I don't know when he was elected, Maduro was elected. There were international groups, including the Carter Center, Jimmy Carter's foundation, that did an election integrity study. And they found that Nicolas Maduro was elected 
in a free and fair election, okay? Nicolas Maduro, he has, he's not perfect by any means, but Nicolas Maduro, this authoritarian, he, the election in Venezuela was supposed to be in 2019, this year, but at the behest of the opposition party who is extreme right-wing fascists, Juan Guaido, who Nancy Pelosi has been clapping for, who Trump says, oh, the, the democratically, the now democratically elected leader of Venezuela, Juan Guaido. No. Nicolas Maduro, the authoritarian, moved up the election from 2019 to 2018. It was a year earlier than it was supposed to be. You don't hear that on CNN. So do you think Donald Trump would be like, oh, there's a lot of people that want, to, want the election sooner? Let's move it up to 2019. I mean, it's ridiculous, this thing about socialism and authoritarianism. It, it, it doesn't exist. I don't know if, if everyone w was uh, tuned in this weekend, but I have brought up a point, you know, talking about Kamala Harris. And there's been a, a lot of discussion online and on social media about her blackness or if she's black or not and this and that. And I just need you guys to stay away from the dumb shit. You know what I mean? Like, let's get over. Like, this is uh, a divide and conquer. This is a, a white supremacy type rhetoric you know what i mean like you know back in the day you had a drip of black a black and you, you're black you know what i'm saying and now all of a sudden we want to try to say oh well she's not listen if she got pulled over by the police the police ain't gonna say uh oh you're not black you from uh jamaica no they're gonna assume you're black and they're gonna treat you like you're black you know what i'm saying african-american is just some title that they just threw over every black person in america you know what i mean that's not being african-american in this country ain't who i am that's an experience and she experienced that she's black 100 percent she's she's black and she she's she get put over by the police if she was raped as a kid they're going to treat her like a little black girl and not care just like they do with any other poor black girl she had she's black so we can get over that we can let that go okay her policies are different okay we don't you know you know what I'm saying those are two different things she's black 100% period point blank african american she had the experience we we're over that but her policies are something different you know what i mean and and they do and, and you're right. They try to push it as, oh, he's not part of the evolving what? He's the one that provoked evolution in the Democratic Party. He is that thing, right? You know what I mean? We're not voting. We're not do, we're not doing that no more. We're not we're not looking at people and saying, oh, I'm a I'm going to vote for you because we never had a woman in. You know what I mean? We will have a woman in, but she's going to be progressive. She's going to be for the people. If she's, part, if she's part of the system, she's not getting in. Whether she's a woman, whether she's black, whether she's white, whatever. We're, looking, we're not going to vote against our own. Listen. We're done with voting against our own interests because someone looks familiar or we want to have group think. And because the group says it, that we're going to do it. No, that's, that's what we're resisting. That's the same thing. That's why we're still in the rut today. That's why we're frustrated today. Now, everyone's frustrated. Black people have been frustrated for the longest time. But, you know, we all know that it doesn't matter until it affects a white person. And now that it's, it's spilled over, white people are starting to see how black people have been treated. The, I mean, uh, uh, at least a little bit of it, where you see they don't give a fuck. If you're in their way, they don't give a fuck. 
And so if you, if, if, if you don't have any conviction, if one day you can say, yeah, I'm for Medicare for all and we can get rid of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the private option, and then because of pressure, no, no, not even 24 hours, you change your mind. You're the AG in California, and you don't, and we have a uh, we have like the unique position to be the first people to vote for um, a single payer, and you don't cast a vote because you know you're about to run for president, and you don't really know where the the the, the wave is blowing. Come on, man, we've seen this before. We're talking about our policies. Period. She's Minnie Hillary. Minnie Hillary. Her policies. Period. We can talk about that. We don't need to talk about her being black. She's black. She's lovely, beautiful, but her policies ain't. And it's going to affect me. I got two brothers that's doing life right now for a murder that they didn't do. Been in jail since two, since 97. And we, ha we have stories of her rejecting someone being... Uh, uh, being released because of a false charge. The guy that um, his his cousin was the niece claimed that he raped them, and she uh, stepdaughter. stepdaughter, and they found out that it was false, and she fought to keep him in. Come on, man, that's not progressive. Y'all can look at videos and see she's she's about she's about that life. She um, in Oakland, they passed uh, an ordinance where they wanted to have more accountability for the police. And it was a, a couple things in that uh, statue. But one of the things that that was in the statue was for the police to not just have that internal. You know how when police do something, they have an internal investigation. What that means is my friend in the next office is going to investigate me, my friend. That's like saying Jordan is going to investigate something I did. You think Jordan going to tell on me? Nah, that's a conflict of interest. So they wanted that, the community to be able to look at this guy's record and say, no, this is the bad police. She said, no, we're not having that. That's, this is what she did. She shut that down. No community accountability. And the community is the one that's being affected. Like, this is what we're talking about, her policies. And we're, come on now, I'm not dealing with it. You shouldn't deal with it. Let's think about, let's look at the policy, period. The policy. You know what I mean? Give, I don't care if you're black, white, Chinese, whatever. We done with that. There was a girl when we were in, um, when we were in Chicago. She said, she said the best. She said, you know what? We always thought that if we got a black person, someone that looked like us, that, that they would look out for our interests because they've been through it too. And she said, every, every public official in that city is black. And they're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. You know what I mean? She was like, I'm done with it. We interviewed the, the girl. She was like, I'm done. We went to a few seats. Detroit. If you look at that whole video when we're in Detroit, they say the same thing. That they get these, they, 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 that they put people, what they do is try to run this game. They say, we're going to put you in as a front man, but you're, you're doing my bidding. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. That's the, that's the, man, people are people and people are corrupt, dog. They manipulate people's insecurities and their situations for their own profit and, their, and, and, for, and for their own needs. We're done with that. If Bernie Sanders speaks to you, 
if Bernie Sanders is the majority of America's favorite politician, he is the, the most favorite politician in America. If Bernie Sanders uh, has widespread union support, if Bernie Sanders has widespread support among millennials, if Bernie Sanders has uh, widespread support among non-white voters, as the polls I just showed you, why wouldn't he immediately and automatically be the front runner for president of the United States. Well, there's a little something, something called the oligarchy. There's a little, little something called a rigged political system. There's a little, little something called Tom Perez and the DNC. There's a little, little something called election fraud and voter suppression and rigging. And super delegates. And super delegates. So I want to read you uh, a piece from my, uh, one of my best friends in the world, BFF Donna Brazil, who, uh, if you remember, in the 2016 uh, election, you know, I broke the story, well, courtesy of WikiLeaks, but I had to go through all the emails. She was flipping questions to Hillary Clinton's campaign first. And Don, Donna, Donna Brazil, when she was trying to sell her book, actually told the truth. But like Kamala Harris, this truth only lasted for 24 hours, and then she started moonwalking away. So I'm going to read you a little piece from uh, Donna. Uh, if you've already read it, just work with me, because I want to remind you that, and I'm sure Bernie Sanders knows this, he ain't just up against Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or Kirsten Gillibrand or Julian Castro or Ellen, uh, Elizabeth Warren or Tulsi Gabbard. Donna Brazil, in her words, before I called Bernie Sanders, I lit a candle in my living room and I put on some gospel music. I wanted to center myself for what I knew would be an emotional phone call. I had promised Bernie when I took the helm of the Democratic National Committee after the convention that I would get to the bottom of whatever whether Hillary Clinton's team had rigged the nomination process as a cache of emails stolen by Russian hackers and posted online had suggested. I had my suspicions from the moment I walked into the DNC of the... Uh, the door of the DNC a month or so earlier based on the leaked emails. But who knew if some of them might have been forged? I needed to have solid... Blood said they need, she needs more me and you on cameras, more uh, uh, appealing and compelling. How many, more, how many times have I told you to move to New York? Huh? I'm on my way. I needed to have solid proof and so did Bernie. See, the problem with that is I live in an apartment and Ty doesn't realize that his voice is really, really, really loud. So if you want to fund us for a soundproofing, how much is soundproofing this apartment? Because <laughs> uh, I don't want to get kicked out of my apartment. But Ty's going to be on camera more. So Donna Zill says, I followed the money. My predecessor, Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz, had not been the most active chair in fundraising at a time when President Barack Obama's neglect had left the party in significant debt. As Hillary's campaign gained momentum, she resolved the party's debt and put it on a starvation diet. It had become dependent on her campaign for survival, which she expected to wield control of its operations. That was a little something called money laundering with the Hillary Victory Fund. Yeah, illegal. But in America, if you're Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, or any powerful person, really, you're fine. Debbie was not a good manager. She hadn't been very interested in controlling the party. She let Clinton headquarters in Brooklyn do as it desired so she didn't have to inform the party officers how bad the, situ how bad the situation was. How much control Brooklyn had and, how for how and for how long was still something I had been trying to uncover for the last few weeks. By September 7th, the day I called Bernie, I had found my proof and it broke my heart. Oh, Donna. 
The Saturday morning after the convention in July, I called Gary Gensler, the chief financial officer of Hillary's campaign. He wasted no words. He told me the Democratic Party was broke and $2 million in debt. What? I screamed. I'm an officer of the party, and they've been telling me everything is fine, and they were raising money with no problems. This wasn't true, he said. Officials from Hillary campaign had taken a look at the DNC's books. Obama left the party $24 million in debt, $15 million in bank debt, and more than $8 million owed to vendors after the 2012 campaign. I had been paying that off and had been paying it off very slowly. Obama's campaign was not scheduled to pay it off until 2016. Hillary for America, the campaign, and Hillary Victory Fund, its joint fundraising vehicle with the DNC, a money laundering scheme, had taken care of 80% of the remaining debt in 2016, about $10 million, and had placed the party on an allowance. So you literally had a candidate running the DNC. Hillary Clinton, a candidate running the DNC, not during the general election, during the primary. This on top of WikiLeaks emails that showed the DNC was preparing to support Hillary Clinton's general election campaign before Bernie Sanders even announced. They already had their strategy in place to coronate Queen Hillary. If I didn't know about this, I assume that none of the other officers knew about it either. That was just Debbie's way. In my experience, she didn't come to the officers of the DNC for advice and counsel. She seemed to make decisions on her own and let us know at the last minute what she had decided and she had done as she had done when she told us about the hacking only minutes before the Washington Post broke the news. On the phone, Gary told me the DNC needed a $2 million loan, which the campaign had arranged. No, that can't be true, I said. The party cannot take out a loan without the unanimous agreement of all the officers. Gary, how did they do this without me knowing? I don't know how Debbie relates to the officers, Gary said. He described the party as fully under control of the Hillary campaign, which seemed to confirm the suspicions of the Bernie camp. The campaign had the DNC on life support, giving it money every month to meet its basic expenses, while the campaign was using the party as a fundraising clearinghouse. Under FEC law, an individual can, can contribute a maximum of 2700 directly to a presidential campaign but the limits are much higher for contributions to state parties and a party's national committee. So that's what they were doing. Hillary Clinton's camp, donors to Hillary Clinton's campaigns, big wig, Democratic donors, have a, use a lot of tax shelters in the Cayman Islands, lobby Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton for tax cuts and subsidies and all sorts of goodies while derailing about campaign, well, we need a campaign finance reform while they abuse the system. They were not only donating $2,700 to the Hillary Clinton campaign, they were then donating the max to the DNC, they were donating the max to the state parties, and this money was supposed to go to the state parties, was supposed to go to the DNC, but then was getting funneled back into Hillary Clinton's campaign. That's called money laundering, but not illegal if you're Hillary Clinton or powerful people. Individuals who had donated, who had maxed out at their $2,700 contribution limit to the campaign could write an additional check for $353,400 to the Hillary Victory Fund. That figure represented 10,000 to each of the 32 state parties who were part of the Victory Fund agreement, 320,000 and 33,400 to the DNC. The money would be deposited in the states first and transferred to the DNC shortly after that. Money in the battleground states usually stayed in the state, but all other states funneled that money directly to the DNC, which quickly transferred the money to Brooklyn. Gee, why, what do you mean the, ca the campaign was rigged against Bernie Sanders? Wait, I said, that victory fund was supposed to be for whoever was the nominee in the state party races. You're telling me that Hillary has been controlling it since before she got the nomination? 
Gary said the campaign had to do it or the party would collapse. That was the deal Robbie struck with Debbie, Robbie Mook, Hillary's campaign manager. It was to sustain the DNC. I'm sure it was to sustain the DNC while Hillary's campaign was taking the money meant for the DNC into its campaign coffers. We sent the party nearly $20 million from September until the convention and more to prepare for the election. What's the burn rate, Gary asked. How much money do we need every month to fund the party? The burn rate was $3.5 million to $4 million a month. I gasped. I had a pretty good sense of the DNC's operation after having served as interim chair five years earlier. Back then, the monthly expenses were half of that. What had happened? The party chair usually shrinks the staff between presidential election campaigns, but Debbie had chosen not to do that. She had stuck lots of consultants on the DNC payroll, and Obama's consultants were being financed by the DNC, too. When we hung up, I was livid. Not at Gary, but at the mess I had inherited. I knew that Debbie had outsourced a lot of the management of the party and had not been the greatest at fundraising. I would not be that kind of chair, even if I was only interim chair. Did they think I would just be a surrogate for them, get on the road and rouse up the crowds? I was going to manage this party the best I could and try to make it better, even if Brooklyn didn't like it. It would be weeks before I fully understand the financial shenanigans. They were keeping the party on life support. Right around the time of the convention, the leaked emails revealed Hillary's campaign was grabbing money from the state parties for its own purposes, leaving the states with very little to support down-ballot races. As Politico uh, reported on May 2, 2016, described the big fundraising vehicle she had launched through the states the summer before, quoting a vow she had made to rebuild the parties from the ground up. When our state parties are strong, we win. That, that's, we win. That's how it happens. Yet the states kept less than half of 1% of the $82 million they had amassed from the extravagant fundraisers Hillary Clinton was holding, just as Harry had described to me, Gary had described to me when he and I talked in August. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little forward to get off the money part of this. So she told Bernie about the fundraising agreement. Bernie took this stoically. He did not yell or express outrage. He asked me what I thought Hillary's chances were. The polls were unanimous in her winning, but but what he wanted to know was my own assessment. I had to be frank with him. I did not trust the polls, I said. I told him I had visited states around the country, and I had found a lack of enthusiasm for her everywhere. I was concerned about the Obama coalition and about millennials. I urged Bernie to work as hard as he can to bring his supporters into the fold with Hillary and to campaign with all the heart and hope he could muster. He might find some of her positions too centrist, her coziness with the financial elites distasteful, but he knew and I knew that the alternative was a person who would put the very future of the country in peril. I knew he heard me. I knew he agreed with me, but I never in my life had felt so tiny and powerless. When I hung up the call to Bernie, I started to cry. Not of guilt, but out of anger. We should go forward. We had to. So that was Donna Brazil, former TNC chair, who... Uh, basically did her own part in rigging the campaign against Bernie Sanders. And I'm not telling you all of this to like relive the 2016 campaign, but I believe it's important so we know where we came from to know what we're getting into in 2020. So here's the thing. Donna Brazil conveniently left out of that little uh, Mia culpa, which by the way, like 24 hours after she published that, she started moonwalking away. Oh, I didn't say the primary was rigged. No, not rigged, just one candidate controlling the neutral state party. Not rigged at all. So what's interesting, she left out, you know, the whole, the DNC planting hit jobs on Bernie Sanders. 
with NBC, CNN, MS, all of these channels, the New York Times, the Bernie Bros myth came from the DNC. Trying to paint Bernie Sanders as an atheist before the West Virginia primary, that came from the DNC. Setting the primary debates at only t- six debates came from Debbie Wasserman Schultz because she didn't want Hillary Clinton to have that much exposure because she knew the more Bernie Sanders had exposure, the more he would attract a larger voting base. So we are supposed to believe, we are supposed to believe that, oh, well, now, you know, the superdelegates have been weakened. If you think because superdelegates can now vote on the second ballot, if you think that because Tom Perez is the DNC chair, if you think that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are just going to like sit off on the side and clap for all the participants, you got another thing coming. Remember, the Democratic Party was not expecting Bernie Sanders to explode. The Democratic Party did not have a lot of time to prepare for General, uh, Bernie Sanders. The Democratic Party was kind of making up the rigging as they went along when it comes to Bernie Sanders. They've had two and a half years now to prepare for Bernie 2.0. And you better believe they're prepared because I firmly believe the Democratic Party, that would be Nancy Pelosi, that would be Chuck Schumer, that would be all of the donors, that would be Goldman Sachs, that would be J.P. Morgan, that would, be, that would mean ExxonMobil, that would mean Pfizer, that would mean the big pharmaceutical companies, that would mean the big real estate developers, that would mean Silicon Valley they would 100% prefer a re-elected Donald Trump to a President Bernie Sanders. You need way more than election, like, poll observers when it comes to Bernie Sanders, or Tulsi Gabbard, frankly. You are going to need, and Bernie is going to need, and I believe his campaign has actually planned for this, you're going to need a rapid response army to not after the primaries, before the primaries. Mm-hmm. Not point out, mm-hmm. but raise a goddamn mm-hmm. stink about the, the registration deadline. You need de- to be proactive, not reactive. Right. The registration deadline suddenly changing. Yeah. Uh, oh, all of a sudden, polls are getting shut down that all weren't shut sudden. down before. Uh, you know, like Rhode Island, when the governor of Rhode Island, who's Hillary Clinton's BFF, Closes down 60% of the polls in Rhode Island. I didn't know that. Before an open primary. You should have watched me. Was, oh, last... Yeah, 2016. They, oh, I remember yeah. they were talking about that. No, so, Mickey was. And, and, and frankly, I'm keeping a real. If Senator Sanders is watching, this is on him. Enough with the... Enough with the... You enough know, with the being nice, patty, patty. Yeah, enough with like, I just want to win on the issues and run a positive campaign. Bernie, this isn't Switzerland, okay? Yeah. This is a mafia. This is a mafia political system. As long, and, and you're being honest, dog. That's what they did. What you're talking about is what they did. Give it to them. Put it in their face. Because they did it. They made a conscious effort to do something. And if it compromises their run for president, you expose it. So, for example, Bernie Sanders, if Kamala Harris wants to publicly say, I'm not a, Demo- I'm not a Democratic socially, in a very condescending way, yeah. you, you need to say respectfully, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're a capitalist. And frankly, you haven't exactly been strong on these issues for too long, and you kind of seem to be moonwalking away from those issues. So 
when it comes to Kirsten Gillibrand and Cory Booker, Bernie Sanders needs to not say, oh, my kind friends here on the other side. No. Cory Booker and Kirsten Gillibrand have accepted bribes from the banking industry for in Cory, in Kirsten and Gillibrand. You all, you all know about what Cory Booker did with the pharmaceutical. He voted against like lowering the, lowering the price of 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 of, uh, of, of certain uh, um, medicines in this state. He voted against it, and it was only for his career because he knows a, a large amount of the pharmaceutical companies are there. Mm-hmm. Not just his state. It was it was going to help everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bernie Sanders needs to not like. There's a way of saying things where it's politically harsh. But it's not "quote unquote" a personal attack. Yeah, yeah. everybody trying to say like, just like what um, um, Deborah uh, 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 Donna, Donna Brazil did. She tried to say, "Oh, you're going to attack a." I'm asking you a question uh, about what you did, and you're telling me I'm attacking women. You, your friend, uh, your friend Donna Brazil that you hung out with at a bar. Oh yeah, me and Donna Brazil had a drink together. Uh, Why don't you tell people about that? Me and Donna Brazil had a drink together at the, when the DNC chair race. We, we me and Nomiki followed it. We had a drink together. She's nice, especially when she's She, she said she didn't think TYT... Uh, yeah, we asked her for an interview initially. She was like, y'all don't treat me right. <laughs> but then Nomiki got an interview with her, Yeah, if you want to call it that. Come on, yeah. don't, don't, don't. If you want to call it that. that. Uh, so, but the bottom line is, you're going to need an army around Bernie Sanders and independent media, not just to, like, tweet in anger at the rigging that is going on, but to get out in the streets... Before the primaries happen, okay? You, if you want a fair election, you're going to have to fight for a fair election because you're not going to get one. Yeah. I'm not talking about physical fights. I'm not talking about violence. But let me tell you something. There was one, one protest at C, uh, outside CNN headquarters in 2016 election. It was in Los Angeles. Uh, I believe the Young Turks covered it. At the, in Hollywood. You are going to need way more than one protest outside media outlets because the media needs to be shamed and put on blame for the disinformation they are putting out. The biggest problem is not Russian is not Russian information. The biggest disinformation is coming from United States democratic state-run media. Period. And y'all, y'all think that our elections was the first time it was rigged in 2016? Are you tripping? Are you tripping? These elections been rigged. They just mad. They didn't do it. That's, That's right. all. That's right. So the bottom line is this. Bernie Sanders, if he wants a chance, yes, he has to build a grassroots organization, which he already has done. But the time for being nice, the time for going, going to a knife fight holding a spoon, mm. Bernie Sanders needs to get down in the mud. You could be nice and you could be kind and you could be a nice diplomatic guy when you become the nominee. Mm-hmm. And then because you're not going to play nice. You're not going to play nice with Donald Trump. Yeah. So why would you play nice with these people? Yeah. Because they're not Bernie Sanders. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm politely telling you as, as a journalist, these are sociopaths you're dealing with. Cory Booker is a pretty looking, kind talking sociopath. It takes a, soci- it takes is, a sociopath is. to knowingly block things that could save lives. That, saw- that's a sociopath. Am I wrong? I wouldn't say sociopath because, no, just let me tell you why. Ty the the apologist. No, the only reason I said that, because if you have a culture of 
uh, uh, of people that do things. Everyone that comes in that's funneled in, they are taught to do the same thing. When you're just doing it, it's not, you're thinking that that's the way to go. You're not really thinking, you know, you're selfish and, and you're not, you're not, you're, you're not being, um, you're not like thinking about the complexities of it. You're thinking about this is how uh, 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 Washington uh, operates and this is how we operate. So it's hard to say they're sociopaths because the sociopath is intentional. That's, and I don't. That's not necessarily true. A sociopath, yes, they know mm -hmm. they, they're manipulative. They're manipulative. They know exactly what they're doing. Read the definition. Okay, we'll have to look that up. But the bottom line is, the way that Bernie Sanders wins this election, you're gonna have to do more than knock on doors if that's your choice to do that. What up, Colin? You're gonna need more. You're gonna need more than just to donate. Bernie Sanders is gonna need a revolutionary army, a peaceful one, to not after the primary is rigged, before any of these primaries, to get out there and to demand certain things, mm. demand equal coverage mm. to Donald Trump, Kamala Harris, or all these people. Demand that you don't just have Democratic Party elites as pundits on there, but you have Bernie Sanders supporters, voters, and surrogates mm. on all of these networks. Demand that these voter registration deadlines are moved closer to Election Day, not mm. further away from Election Day. De yes, Lord. Demand that I don't even want to hear from any superdelegates. I don't want to hear about them on TV. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear, the, hear yeah. about them in, in, in the papers because they might have moved it to the second. Remember y'all had that meeting in, in Las Vegas. You better stick to it. They don't, just because they've moved the superdelegates to the second uh, ballot, they, 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 it doesn't they, mean they, they're not going to exactly. try to manipulate the process. They, they, they make loopholes. They mm -hmm. make loopholes. Loophole is a, loophole was almost like it was an accident and someone was able to, uh, to, to, to exploit it. But no, they put that in place for themselves. They know what they're doing. This, they're career criminals. Damn, is that like calling them sociopaths? Yeah, 100%. So the bottom line is this. The bottom line, the bottom is, this. line is this. I knew he was going to say it twice. Yeah, I have a redundancy problem. You're not going, this is not a fair fight. It's not a naturally fair fight, okay? You're not going, I guarantee to you, that infomercial you saw, with Kamala Harris on CNN, that infomercial that you saw, God knows why they gave Howard Schultz a town hall, that infomercial you just saw with Don Lemon last night with Amy, eat your broccoli, nothing great is possible, Klobuchar. You know what? Wolf Blitzer. Think about Wolf, where we would Wolf, be at. Wolf Blitzer. They're actually doing a town hall with Bernie Sanders on Monday. So kudos to CNN. They do, they're doing the right thing. You think Wolf Blitzer is going to be the same lifeless mannequin with Bernie Sanders, no, they're as he always is aggressive else? with Bernie. They're always aggressive. But let me tell you this: everyone is saying what we can't do, and it's a pie in the sky. You know what? Think about where we would be right now. FDR thought that. If FDR said, "You know what? This is a pie in the sky. We can't do it." What? Where would we? Where would we be if JFK said, uh, "Going to the moon is a pie in the sky"? I don't know. No, we make the decision to do it, and then we figure it out. We always do.